Hello, everybody, and welcome back to an all-new episode of Artsy Fartsy Immigrants. I'm very, very pleased to say that today we have the one and only Moritz Batschreiter back on the hot mic. Wonderful, beautiful, good morning to you and all that are listening. <laughs> Man, it's uh, it's always nice to have you back on. It feels like, um, you know, the other, like the jigsaw piece of the puzzle has now been returned. <laughs> Do you feel that way too sometimes? Like when you step back on into Artsy that it's like the the sort of like the the universe has made it, it's like complete again? <laughs> like it, it's like this, this Thanos meme. Um, oh yeah! Like oh, yeah! <laughs> finally, <laughs> like finally, all the gemstones are in the glove. <laughs> By the way, back. there has been a a, a great um, like AI kind of manipulated video I wanted to send you, but I wasn't sure if you would get it because it's completely in German. But mm. um, since like it's you could criticize that, but it's so much like state of the art of making fun of like presidents and states uh, hats. Since oh, yeah. I don't know, talking about Joe Biden who. <laughs> Who talks about having having had conversation with French president that died forty years ago, etc. Yeah. Then there's yeah. also I, I've I've came across a, a super entertaining video, which is like Germany's Chancellor Scholz talking at um, World Economic Forum, and what they did is like they they um, they took his his speech and fed the AI with it so that it would create new words with his voice. Really? And instead of talking about the danger from Putin, etc., he talks about the danger from Thanos. And it's, it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> you won't believe it, but he has the Infinity Stones and he will use them. <laughs> <laughs> That's so scary that they can do that. That's so crazy. Oh my god! I mean, I'm not surprised, I guess, but that's so wild when you start seeing stuff like that. I don't, I don't understand what's going on with all these. Like, uh, speaking of Biden, like all these memes of him with these like red glowing eyes. I see this everywhere. I don't know if that was like an original joke that they propagated or if it came from like the uh, opponents. It seems like something that came from the uh, opposing side, but I feel like every other meme I see of Joe Biden is like, you know how. It's like a cartoonishly over-the-top depiction of him as, like, the devil or something. And it's just him with these glowing red eyes, and it's on so many different memes. I don't know where it originated. I don't know where anything <laughs> originates anymore. I also, but I see it. I also didn't get it so far, but, like, he, he posted, as I just saw, he seemed to have posted a picture like this himself after this, just after the Super Bowl last night. So we're recording on Monday for everyone who's listening. Yeah, did he? I'm just wondering if he did he post this red-eyed look. He did it himself. This is on this is on his main page. Look, <laughs> it's I follow Joe Biden, and it's like <laughs> just like just like we drew it up at Chiefs. Like I don't get this. <laughs> I don't understand this. I'm trying to. And do it's not the first time. And then trying to do a, a quick research here, but just like every every online medium is just going crazy about him like posting this. Dark Brandon. And why did okay? I just found found a tag uh, like a article by Vox, but it's too long to to read now. <laughs> 
Oh, this is this is weird. I'm seeing it. So I clicked on the comments for just <laughs> what a fun way to start the show. But I clicked on the uh, comments for this picture. So for those like for those who are, are listening on Joe Biden's official Instagram page, there is an image just like I described. It's a, an image um, which I thought was a, a picture someone created like to mock him or to, maybe maybe it was originally something made to insult him and they've tried to you know like when someone calls you a, a, a bad slur or nickname and you try to own it or try to get ahead of the joke so maybe that's how it started but there's a picture on his official presidential page of him like fo- like with these like photoshopped like red glowing sort of you know demonic looking eyes uh, which looks insane to have on an official president's uh, social, social media page um, but I'm guessing that it's like his younger social media teams, you know, cause it's a joke on the Super Bowl. It's like, it's, it's referencing the chiefs. It's basically a reference to their victory. So there's something going on here that I just don't have all the, I don't have all the pieces to get the joke. But if you glance through, you're like, whoa, whoa, Same for whoa, me, whoa, but, I, but I think we can, we can offer a little service here. I found an article that seems to explain it pretty well. Okay, box. I, maybe we can put that in the show notes. It's too long to do a proper research like now on the air. Yeah. But um, maybe people can uh, can read that can read that afterwards. Did you watch the Super Bowl? I have only seen highlights. No, I didn't watch. I didn't watch the full game this year. Okay. Did you? No, I I didn't. Like I tried for so many years, but and you know, like there's a lot of U.S. sports I really follow mostly basketball but i still don't get football it just doesn't like it's for me it's the same as with i have the same phenomenon with certain types of electronic and techno music where it's like i i get why other people like it but for me it just doesn't click and i have the same thing with american football yeah yeah, I, I can totally understand that it has so many little bylaws and weird rules and and little um it's like a culture within itself of things that are so it's 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 a game sort of built and and thriving inside of its own bubble uh and outside of that bubble everything seems pretty crazy and i see it i notice it more and more the longer that i uh live abroad i saw some crazy interviews with americans um online of people like they were interviewing people outside like tailgating or, you know, uh, pre-gaming before the Super Bowl. And some of these answers were insane. Someone, people asked them, like, um, what's bigger, the Super Bowl or the World Cup? And <laughs> I think four out of five answers were like, oh, the Super Bowl, of course. And they're like, you know, because, you know, like, and they're like, soccer's nice. And all, they're like, it's nice and all. But the Super Bowl, now that's, that's... And I mean, if we're talking pure spectacle, like, if we're talking about, like, like shooting, you know, F-16 planes into the sky with cannons <laughs> and Usher and like huge, huge amounts of money and spectacle and show. A Las Vegas Super Bowl is bigger on that particular scale. But I think if they mean just like a generally more acknowledged and, you know, uh, appreciated sport, I mean, it's the World Cup. <laughs> It's every other country on earth. But to 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 mix it up, did you see all the memes about because the the next uh, soccer World Cup is gonna be held in the U.S., Mexico, and Canada? No and way. And the the FIFA made this this big uh, mysterium about the release of the like where the the final would be held. 
And now oh, they wow. did. They, they said it's the biggest, um, the biggest announcement in the history of announcements. They literally, literally said that. Just to announce that the World Cup final 2026 is going to be held in MetLife Stadium, New Jersey. <laughs> in New... <laughs> and I don't know so much about football, but I, I know one thing, that this seems to be a stadium where they have to... where they seem to have um, problems like with the turf and with the knees of, of American football players. And I just saw some meme like, yeah, great idea. Just bring the world's most expensive ACLs to MetLife Stadium. <laughs> and there's been a lot of great Soprano memes on like, okay, Italy, you like you play in New Jersey. You have to get to the final. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, that seems like a weird, uh, like a fake like a like a like a a combo of AI terms that were drawn together into like a lottery bucket with like a spinning wheel. Mm -hmm. Like putting putting the World Cup final into the New Jersey MetLife Stadium. That's so yeah, funny. It's, that doesn't it's such that's a, so funny. It's such a funny clash of cultures to watch because Yeah. Like I, I can imagine that it's it's a nice stadium and with all the like you mentioned, tailgating is a huge thing. But now mm -hmm. you have soccer fans all around the world seeing these images. I can send you one of them, like drone shots, on where you have like this single stadium on this huge, humongous, gray floor of parking lots. And far, far beyond, you see a little bit of the skyline of New York City. And soccer fans are like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, send me that picture. It is, it is kind of weird. Like stadium, stadium culture is, is in the states. It's really weird. It's because it's always like planted in some, like you said, some giant parking lot, and it's very, very different from probably how uh, people envision it. I don't know. I, it's uh, that's such a weird clash of cultures there. The whole like parking lot thing, like I would say, gave me my main like, whoa, what the fuck? This is America uh, moment <laughs> when I've been to New York City and. Um, mm -hmm. I've been around with a few people you also know, like with mm -hmm. uh, with uh, Adam, etc. Right. And at the time, there were the the um, the the finals of the college baseball series, and since there were uh, a few like LSU alums in that in that friend group, they wanted to watch mm -hmm. that game because the LSU Tigers were playing the Florida Gators somewhere in Nebraska, mm -hmm. and oh, wow. um, <laughs> and I and I. I I had this moment with like, what the fuck am I watching here? When they had a game, we were at some bar watching that game on the TV. And at some like game break, they had these, what they often do, like at live events when they go to commercials, they have these long shots of like slow motion of sports action or fans that are cheering or like these long shots they take to transport into an ad break. And yeah. there it was a camera guy like, walking with his his, cam his camera along a parking lot towards a big like Ford truck and a lot of pe a lot of tigers fans around it with this huge like gas grill having a barbecue and <laughs> the camera guy walks towards the the grill and this one guy like all dressed up in LSU merch like slowly pulls up the hood of the grill and on it is a literal alligator because what? obviously the Tigers fans are <laughs> grilling the Gators. <laughs> and that was my moment where I was like, okay, this is America. <laughs> Dude, there is no greater 
like combination of of absolute psychopaths than <laughs> uh, than first off Amer- just Americans like people from Florida or something sports fans and drunks <laughs> like this combo of like if you're a drunk and you're like a crazy sports fan and you are in or are from the United States there is no wilder combo like people doing stuff like that is hilarious but still, sat, like, in a strange way, not a surprise. Like, I have seen the most ridiculous stuff going to, like, Ole Miss games. Like, you go to, I don't know if it's the, um, I think it's the Egg Bowl, which is, a, like, a college conference between Ole Miss and MSU. So, like, two two competing major in Mississippi colleges. And, man, see, like, seeing these two teams and, and they're opposing families and supporters and fans and these parking lots and the tailgating and, like, there's whole communities like there's whole like towns built between the college campus to the stadium where there it's like it's like how people set up Oktoberfest like in in just a few months or in their case a few days or a week or something it was like a whole village organized arranged electricity gas grill music people there's people selling merchandise there's like whole commodities like and music everything. festivals it's, like, basically. it's crazy Huh? Like like uh, like the big like music festivals you have here, right? That work the same way. Yeah, it's like that. It's like it's like yeah, Bonnaroo in Tennessee. I mean, I didn't know where Bonnaroo was for most of my life, and then I found out way late because I just for some reason I've realized as I get older I just don't Google things enough. But I just I thought Bonnaroo was somewhere in like the Upper East Coast or something. And then I find out that it is really not far from where my brother lives. Like, it is really not far from Nashville at all. (laughs) It's really crazy. It's really uh, just in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, which you wouldn't think Radiohead, you know, or whatever, Tame Impala or whoever, like, would play some field in Tennessee. But that's where they hold. So it's crazy. They just build these things up and then they, you know, then it's it's gone. Dude, talking about... um Radiohead. No, first, um, to, to, to close off on that alligator story, the next time they had a, a similar kind of break, they interviewed the guy, and he was, like, telling the story about, like, yeah, he actually brought these alligators from Louisiana up to Nebraska. And I was like... Dude, I, that's like, so You know all these memes, insane. like, the, the, European, the European mind cannot compare this? I had that moment because <laughs> I could not imagine myself in a situation, like, I don't know, driving up for hours and days from Louisiana to Nebraska knowing that I got like three frozen alligators in the back of my truck. Yeah. What the <laughs> hell is going on, man? That's so crazy to me. That's really, really crazy. But um, we have... And how? Like, how did he keep them alive? How did he keep the temperature fine enough for them? How, what did he feed them? Did he feed them chickens from the gas station? No, they were frozen. They were already dead and frozen. Oh, I thought he... Wait, he the alligator was already dead and frozen? Yeah. Oh, I thought he brought live... Just, no, no, just like you you bring up frozen turkey or something. Oh, I understood it was like a live alligator. Yeah. Like a snapping alligator. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how did he transfer that from Louisiana <laughs> to Nebraska? Jesus. Um, oh, okay. But Makes a little more sense now. <laughs> since we're in the, in, the, in the broad world of entertainment, there's also a, a lot with you going on we have to talk about. But first, I wanted to look for something. It's hard to follow that. <laughs> I wanted to look for something else because you mentioned Radiohead. Because I found yeah. a picture of the <clears throat> of a backdoor um, backstage list for a Radiohead show mid '90s in New York, and it's like crazy. You want me backstage to read it to list you? Backstage list meaning like people who came or yeah, what they guest wanted? list basically. Oh, okay. Uh huh. 
Beastie Boys plus Eight Guests, Blur <lacht> plus Guests, Matthew Cause, Kelly Curtis, George Draculias, Fast plus Two VIP Guests, Ira Elliott plus Two VIP Guests, Shalom Harlow plus VIP, Lenny Kravitz plus One VIP Guest, Courtney Love plus One VIP Guest, Madonna wow. plus Two Guests, Marilyn Manson plus Seven Guests, Dave Matthews wow. plus Guests. Uh, Kate this Moss. Is, this is their guest list. This is Radiohead's This guest is Radiohead's list. backstage guest list. K Kate Moss <laughs> plus two VIP guests. Guy Oziri plus one VIP guest. Oasis plus three VIP guests, which I found pretty interesting having Oasis and Blur at the same backstage party. Uh, that was fun. Brad Pitt plus VIP guest. R.E.M. Oh. plus VIP guest. Rick Rubin wow. plus two guests. Sure. U2 plus guests. Eddie Vedder plus guests. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know the rest of the people, but it's just crazy. Dude, uh, I mean, good for them, man. Whoa. Like all at one Radiohead show. That's, That's crazy. That's nuts. That's, what, what year was that, you said? Um, I got to look up the exact uh, year. Uh, it, it doesn't, it's not on the, on the photo of the list, but I, as far as I remember, it's been like 95, 96. I mean... They had that kind of crowd coming to their to their guest list after just the first record. It sounds like, yeah, I, that that made me think about <clears throat> because you have these artists. I feel like like Radiohead or the biggest of them all for me is like Elliot Smith, who never right. like got that big like stardom, but is right. so highly appreciated within the like music scene and art scene, yeah. etc. Um, yeah. like Madonna said about Elliot Smith, for me, he's the greatest songwriter ever, etc. Oh, wow. And I wonder if, like, if it's been the same way for Radiohead, like before their big commercial success, that already all these other musicians were like, okay, crazy, we got to see that. Yeah, I think that's exactly how it was. I mean, for Radiohead specifically, that's a band that I didn't get how big they were until much, much, much later in life. Like, I mean, I of course I had friends who were just obsessed in high school, and I saw that there was like an into like a, an emotional like intellectualism to them like there was something they got that i wasn't getting yet but i i could enjoy parts of it and then it was you know for me it was with a lot of people i think my age too it was in rainbows which i guess was like oh five oh six um and that just changed everything i was like oh oh now i understand radiohead like this <laughs> is a game changer and after that i guess Yeah, they had already done OK Computer. They'd already done Kid A. These were huge groundbreaking records. And then, yeah, in Rainbows. And then what followed that was King of Limbs when I was in college, so like some years later. And by then, I was seeing that they were headlining major festivals around the world. You know, it was like, no. oh, okay. I thought they were some like indie, intellectual, blah, blah, blah band. But okay, but now they're headlining Coachella, Bonnaroo, Lollapalooza. They're playing the Royal Albert Hall. They're playing these arenas. You're like, okay, okay. So they're, I think In Rainbows was like their big leap from like pe the, the smart people and the good like fans get it to like everyone can enjoy, you know, most of these songs to an extent, I think. But it's like, um, before we talk about, because you also recently played a... a a kind of very important show for you and I want to know who has been on your guest list but <laughs> this can be much more disappointing <laughs> there's no recruitment coming you, you brought up one thought in my mind because you mentioned like um, you real the moment you realized like Radiohead was headlining these big festivals etc I feel yeah. like with these A-list headliners for big events festivals shows etc 
There's such a weird, like, obviously it's a lot about money and deals and who knows who, etc. But there's such a weird of, what to say, like mechanics to it. Just like, look at, look at last night, like at Super Bowl, you have Usher. And I was like, okay, I don't, I don't get that. Because for me, like, yeah. okay, Usher used to be huge, but for like, as far as I remember it, like three or four years late 2000s and never yeah, really been ago. heard of since. Dude, seeing this, uh, seeing this live show from Usher, it was really. I I don't understand why. I don't sometimes understand why they bring back. And this is no shame on Usher. He's not. He's not necessarily my kind of artist. But I I have a lot of respect for him as an artist. It's there's nothing against Usher here, but I I don't understand why sometimes they bring back um, artists from a certain era. Like you said, you know, I think I think. I remember I was in high school when they just basically assaulted us with this song, Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was the only thing you heard anywhere. And, you know, that it wasn't 20 years ago, but, you know, it was definitely more like 15 years ago that that, that song was everywhere. And if it, unless Usher were to have some new thing that puts him back on the map... And then they think, well, now that us, now that Usher's hot again, now that he's like at the top again, let's let him f- finally do his big, you know, that the 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 honor of doing like the Super Bowl halftime show. But they just brought him back, and there's just just for nostalgic reasons. And I think it works the other way around. Like we bring him back to Super Bowl, then he'll be hot again for a for a while. I mean, isn't it yeah. kind of the same <clears throat> mechanism as you have in Hollywood with like? Um, remakes etc same thing like right. a week a week before and i also found it beautiful but um the whole tracy chapman thing at the at the grammy same same story kind of like it's the been beautiful story there yeah. it's been beautiful and people went crazy um rightfully yeah. so i think but it's been pretty random you gotta say it's it's not but like been like a yeah. 30 year anniversary of that song it's been like 36 years or something it's just been yeah. out of nothing yeah, there's this um, there's this theory, there's like pop culture theory called called the thirty year cycle, something like that, the thirty year gap, the thirty year cycle, and that's usually the amount of time it takes for a generation to feel that the era of the product being put back into society, whether that be a song or an era of a film or a reboot of something, that's the time where it starts to feel. Uh, fresh enough to a new audience that 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 time in their life they can't imagine like um, they said if I was you know if if when I grew up watching things about the 70s that seemed extremely far away even the no. 80s like 16 Candles for example or or the Breakfast Club these films was like a whole different world you know so that cycle is old enough where for me it's something I can imagine but not touch and my parents could have the thing of like, I remember dressing like that. I remember going to school with guys like that. And there's like sort of that cycle. For, so for now, uh, now it would be for me, you know, watching something that takes place in like 1995, 1996, like that sort no. of 30-year cycle. But I think with I think with Tracy Chapman, maybe that's just something that struck somebody at the right time. And it just it made sense to... to reboot it but still i don't know i like i also wonder how they choose these super bowl performers like i don't i don't 
I have no, it seems so random to me sometimes. Yeah. Not that I ever like, was last year's the one that had like all of the West Coast rappers? Yeah, with. That one was kind of cool, yeah. I have to say. Um, but that one's also like just just nostalgia, right? I mean, there's none of those artists is really like today's hip hop. Like, I mean, Kendrick, but even Kendrick is a little too, you know, conscious for, for, you know, just like the average fan. And I totally understand that. But if you have like 50 Cent, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, and these are all, these are like Gen Xers and, and, and boomers. These are old, older guys, you know? Yeah, but I, if- I don't get where or why they choose them or I'm surprised sometimes it isn't more of like a, I'm surprised the Super Bowl performance isn't more uh, similar to an SNL honor where it's mm-hmm. like, you are what's in now. Here's your time. It's like, I feel like SNL is always like the, here's the artist of the time and here's what they do for better or for worse. Whether this performance is good, whether the artist is good, this is who is in now. Who's going to remember a Renee rap performance in 15 years? Probably nobody. And who's going to remember, you know, some famous performance from, you know, Kendrick or Wilco or Billie Eilish. Those things last forever. But with Super Bowl, it always seems like they keep going back to some artist. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some 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 choice to it. I'm not seeing. I don't really get why they do it like that. Mm, like as you as you speak, like thought comes up for me that probably it's like the the sheer like size of the thing, and they know like mm. the Super Bowl, like basically every American, no matter yeah. the age. Um, it has to be or, like an evergreen artist, right? Exactly. And, like so, and so probably it's about the compromise. Okay, give the people something that older generations get, but yeah. younger people still can find cool. Mm-hmm. True. And, no, that's true. I didn't even think of it. That's, that's so true. Of course, they have to choose something that like obviously has sold enough records around the world. That no. like, kind of everyone can get a little something out of it. Be- even if for me, who's not an Usher fan, can go, oh, I remember that song. Mm. Oh, look, that's Alicia Keys. Oh, I love her. You know, you could kind of just like get something out of it yeah like the only because i was like why is not billy eilish playing there but probably like it would upset too many older people like the only one right. in that range that would work i think um but i, I think she had a b- big share of the show either way would have been taylor swift because she's also been like around for like what 25 years imagine now? if taylor imagine if taylor had done this year's show huh that would have just been too much <laughs> dude there would be no no internet today for you and me to to talk about anything <laughs> Didn't uh, didn't Travis Kelsey propose to her at the end of the game? Did he? I think he proposed to her yeah. at the game, and she said no. <laughs> imagine, imagine. Then the then the, the, I mean, I think we'd all be on fire with the volcanic rage of hell if she said no. Dude, uh, let me see. Did Travis Kelsey propose? To, first question on the internet today. <clears throat> Did he propose? Let's see here. Oh, ah. Uh, Travis Kelsey celebrated with my field. Oh, okay. Maybe he didn't. It just looks like looks to everybody. It looks to everybody that he did, but maybe he didn't. <laughs> maybe people just just wanted to 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 be that way, since it would be such a huge moment, etc. It really would. I just didn't. That would be so fast. But I mean, I don't know. I don't want to get involved with that shit. But um, but you 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 talked about that like like that thirty. That thirty-year cycle in like pop culture and 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 how it works. I mean, if the, yeah. per- the perfect the perfect example you and me lived through. I know we're a few years apart, but still, that's a scenario where it, where it works out. Like 
uh, the Star Wars um, prequels exactly. coming yeah. out in the early 2000s. We both were way too young to to get into that 70s kind of weird um, puppet spacey world. <laughs> but it they it was the perfect timing for the not the remake but the prequels with new with right. new techniques and new monsters and yeah, so you get all the kids and you still probably have like the the, the parenting generation that right. was a fan of the original series. Dude, I remember going to the theater and seeing um you know Phantom Menace uh, with my dad. Maybe my mom was there too probably. We saw a lot of movies together, but I remember going to the cinema and I don't know if it was uh, Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones. Maybe it was Attack of the Clones. It has that famous Yoda laser, um, sorry, laser, God, the famous Yoda uh, lightsaber fight <laughs> where he's like flipping around like crazy. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, um, that's the Attack of the Clones? Attack of the Clones, yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember seeing that in the cinema and my, my dad saying that like, my dad talking about when he was a kid watching, you know, Yoda as the old puppet and like, you know, it's kind of cool to see him like in his prime, like doing what he does, you know, and. <laughs> That's that perfect combo of like, okay, he had his time with that franchise. Now it's that gap where now it's like, that's what I always connect to Star Wars is the prequels first and then go back to the old ones. Um, you know, what, despite whatever I think is better, that's always, I always think a little bit of like, oh, Darth Maul. That's like, Darth Maul comes to mind because that's what I was so in touch with. They're like, Ewan McGregor, that was my yeah. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know? And now, now we're, we're, we're already 25 years um, apart again. And you have the next yeah. kind of generation, like my little brother, who's 15 now, who's super into The Mandalorian and Obi-Wan and all these kind of like shows, they spin around it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think, th but now they're just butchering it. Now that's yeah. all like a whole different thing now. Now they're just slaughtering the, the franchise name, but it's definitely, <laughs> that's definitely connected this, this nostalgia thing. And I guess the Super Bowl just has to sort of tap into that, but also have something that you know, just about everybody can enjoy. I was wondering, when did Rihanna do it? Was that last... I thought that was last year. Wasn't that two years ago? Or was that two years? Maybe that sure. one in the West Coast when I get mixed up, who who was when. Yeah. Also, before but, before anyone, like, before you get, get like, death threats, etc. on your social media, 50 Cent <laughs> is not a West Coast rapper. <laughs> <laughs> what, is it? what did I say? Who? You, 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 uh, you, you, named, you named 50 Cent as one of the, 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 the West Coast rappers. He was at that performance, though. He was. He that's did that true. performance. That's true. So that's his loss. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about big shows. Um, <clears throat> yes. Let me get into that with a cute, funny little story um, about the importance of linear television in southern Germany. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you remember Rosa? Uh, girl from Oberstdorf, friend of mine. She. Oh, the the German the teacher I had for a exactly. while. Exactly, right? and. Um, and I met her last week uh, when I was in Oberstdorf and she was like, yeah, funny story. My parents were watching television and came up to me like, Rosa, you know this American guy, Jordan, he's famous now. He's been on TV. <laughs> and we were obviously laughing because like even before you were on TV, there were like <laughs> millions of people watching this stuff. But um, with the older generation, there's a simple rule. You're on television, you're famous. So now you're That's famous, it. Mr. Prince. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> that's so funny, man. I, I feel like that's kind of for every uh, for every person around the world who's like above, maybe like above like 50, 55 or something. It's because that's like what they're, 
you know, that's what their uh, access to uh, pop culture was most of their whole life. Now, like, the internet feels so um, widespread and kind of, like, blurry, I can imagine. Um, I, I think, like, if I were to come on to, like, a morning talk show uh, in in the in America, that that would be, like, this big checkpoint of, like, aha, now he's done it, you know, for my parents. Um, not to say they aren't supportive, but I think there's just like this clear thing you can see, you know? So I, I get that. The internet, it's probably a really weird thing. And I think it's, it's cool now to see it also with my parents, like, like the, get it, getting the success of the followers or the, or the views or whatever, or getting these jobs, like these ads that I do. I can imagine that from a distance, something you're doing on the internet and also in a different country is very hard to picture or grasp or explain to your friends. Like, what does Jordan do? It's very hard, I think, to, um, yeah, to explain that or to, to have an idea of it. And at the live show at the very end, I specifically made sure to take a photo or no, a video of the crowd at the very end. I think I posted a story about it um, of, the whole crowd saying like "Hi, mom and dad." That's in the show that's them, in the in the you know. TV piece about you to, for, for, to give people context. Why why I came oh, up? Oh, from with, the crowd's perspective, with, with, right? With, yeah. with that uh, with that story, there was a a TV crew from uh, Bayerischer Rundfunk like uh, covering your first live show as a. I don't know if you would label yourself as that as a comedian, or do you not want to say that? Say again, sorry. Like, could I you say mean, that's been your first show as a comedian, or do you not, not like that label? No, no. Actually, I think that's a really great label. I would, I, I would definitely say, like now, I am pursuing and working. Like the career choice, I think now is like I am working as a comedian, and that's a really great. Th I'm really happy to say that. That's crazy. I, man. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm a b amateur comedian. Amateur comedian. <laughs> you're making a living out of it, so I don't see why you're not a professional. <laughs> I think it. I think for me, it's still weird to like. It's. Um, I don't know. I feel like it's easier to have a guitar. Uh, learn, 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 learn the basics of an instrument. Maybe play a song or two, and you could say I'm a musician because I can play guitar. But something about the the honor or like the ti the the honor of this title of comedian, and I'm a little bit more more hesitant to give to myself. I'm happy if someone says it because it's in this Br Capriccio piece. Like that's Jordan Prince comedian. That's great. I'm very happy to see it. I'm a little hesitant to call myself that uh, because of the I of like the years of hard work that I know that comics I admire have put into becoming that or having that title. And maybe if I were to ask them about that, they'd say, stop being such an idiot. You make people laugh, don't you? Like, that's what a comedian is. No. But I feel like it's easier at, a, at an amateur level to say, yeah, I'm a musician than it is to have like, you know, your first sort of big step into that career path as a comedian. I would still say like, I'm 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 working in yeah I'm working in comedy but you could say comedian I just I feel a little scared to be like yes <laughs> I'm a comedian <laughs> but I feel you like know. like that that's that's the same kind of like mechanism as um is it can people like get what you do there and how 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 big it is like just like you said like for for people like your parents in the states it's hard to to see whether that's something huge, whether that's just a hobby, what you do there on the internet, etc., compared to yeah. um, people being on on classic TV, etc. I th I think it's just, and I feel like it's the same with like labeling yourself as a musician or 
as a, as a comedian, mm-hmm. I feel like the hardware makes a lot about it. Like I don't know when you have people sitting in a in a in a TV setting that looks professional, that looks huge, that looks like there's money behind it, that looks as yeah, there's really something going on, and you really must have achieved something to be in that setting and to have all these people and hardware around you, etc. And obviously, you don't have that on social media. It's you, your phone, right. and whatever comes out of your brain. Right. And I feel like the same with, with music, because it, it, it looks, even if you're an amateur, but it, I don't know, it looks impressive if you have a band with like big stacks and fancy guitars and a huge drum <laughs> kit, etc. Whether compared to um, you, um, just like, like standing there in your sport socks and uh, talking right. to people. Yeah. I mean... I think I think <laughs> I was picturing everything you were saying. I think I missed the question in there, but I I think you're saying it's just it's a little scarier, right? To have that sort of separation from the equipment. Is that what you mean? No, I I mean like I feel it's it's easier to call yourself a musician or to 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 value in quotation marks someone's uh, fame, etc. When they're in settings, as in a classical TV studio ah, with see. a lot of stuff around it, or labeling yourself as a musician when you stand there with all the equipment and probably a band, etc. And it's probably right. harder to define yourself as such in, in such professions when it's, when it's basically just, just all, everything you have is you, your brain and your phone or, or a microphone. Yeah. That's, that's a great, yeah, that's a great way to put it. That's, that's kind of what I mean. It's, it's, I feel like what I'm, what I'm doing making jokes and 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 doing these skits and 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 stuff and telling stories it is just what i'm it's like it just is what i think is funny and it it is um like silly or i'm i am just trying to kind of blend in with i don't know it's hard to say i i know what you mean yeah it's 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 hard for me to say like i am exactly this thing when in my mind i'm sort of doing a, a little small bit of different things together but yeah in, in simplest in the simplest form it's it's easier just to say like yeah it's comedy and probably um, also just because because you you've come an an alternative way to most comedians you didn't do, i don't know you you not went in and out every little bar that has a, an open mic every other night to just, I don't know, practice stuff and That's the grow, etc. Yeah. But you, you've gained a lot of like stage experience as a musician and made your first yeah. step as a comedian online. And so you've, right. you've, you've not come that like, came that, that way most stand-up comedians go, etc. That that's what I mean. It's it's uh, putting myself in that category as like other comedians that I admire feels a little bit like the wrong thing to do just yet because exactly because of that the path that most people always take is this like constant, consistent, you know, nearly daily performance work of like building their stories and their structures and their and their jokes and. Um, that's I have so much respect for that path because it's very hard and you have to put a lot of years, many, many years into that to slowly build that audience up. And then a lot of comics that I know get to a point where now they've built up that audience the hard organic way and then they have social media as a means of, well, because you kind of have to, like keeping up mm-hmm. with uh, letting people know where they're going to tour, posting their podcast clips, posting clips from their stand-up specials. That social media thing is just a tool of connection and like reminding people what's going on with them. 
but that live tour performance hard work regular routine thing is like their main sort of business and for me and a lot of people i think since the pandemic it kind of flipped on its head because there weren't any performances for a while there so everyone who started doing comedy or you know was doing comedy before already and just found a bigger platform during the pandemic or whatever um people like myself you started building an audience online first yeah so for me, it was insane that, you know, after a couple of years of building this audience and then wanting to move move these jokes, move these stories back onto the stage, that the first show was like immediately sold out and that you had people who wanted to wait in line to to meet you and that the jokes, you know, some jokes, of course, you could hear like maybe, maybe that one needs to come out. Maybe this one needs to be a little different. There's still work to be done, of course. Uh, nothing's perfect about it, but you still have more acceptance from the audience than you would from people you're trying to prove yourself to. Yeah. That was, that was something that really helped me backstage is I remember like every single musical performance I've ever had, I've had this sort of subconscious or even conscious feeling of like, I need to prove myself to these people. Like you need to, you need to wow these people. You want them to connect with these lyrics or feel the emotion of this melody or like you want them to love it so that they come back for more and like obviously help sort of support your career in this. And that live show, I remember I was backstage. I knew the room was full. We were about to start. And I remember I saw this mirror backstage and it like kind of told myself like, like you, they already like you. They already like you. So you're good. Like, of course I was still super nervous and it's just part of the job, but knowing that they already, they went there because they already liked me. I didn't have to prove anything really helped like just try and calm me down a little bit from all the insanity that I um, usually go through before a show. Yeah, but I that makes complete sense. Yeah, you you kind of you did not skip that part because you you did the work. You build up that audience, just not the the, the classical way, but rather like through your your social media following and growth. But right, it was just different from. I imagine how that everyone to, else to, ma yeah. to make a, a big difference, as you as you said, like com compared. We played the same venue with the band, and I I, I imagine yeah. it must have been a completely different feeling. Not just because what you're doing is different, but also because the approach towards the audience and the other way around, like from the audience towards you, is a complete different. Yeah, I mean that venue. I'm glad I started there. It was like kind of bringing it all back home a little bit. That was one of the first venues I ever played in Munich. Um, like you said, as a, our band, we've played there a few times. I've played there, I think I've played there like almost 10 times since I've moved here. Oh, like opening acts or, uh, you know, the album, 12 songs album release concert was there. Um, I did summer shows with Cosma. Um, so bringing it all back to the mill, I think, was the right choice. But I think it's the last standing room only venue that I'm going to do. Because I, I think I talked about it the first time we booked it. But no. I, at some point, I was getting a little bit concerned. Not enough for it to ruin my experience of the show. But I did at some point think like, okay, we've done like an hour 15. And people are standing shoulder to shoulder. I think um, it was good to do it there. And I'm glad it kind of like brought everything home. But I definitely have... It was a good experience to get a, a plan in my mind of what the next shows should look like and what that will be like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, I think, um, I was going to say, I think what will happen is that now 
I'm waiting on some information from from this guy, but hopefully this week I'll hear about um, our rough outline for a tour. And what I'm going to do is basically build some more material and whatever content that I do post from this live show, because now we're getting some clips in, um, whatever stuff I do post, I'll probably just take right out of the show. Um, unless it like it's just a small part of a bigger story that needs to be told that for for new listeners, um, and I'll build some new new stories that I couldn't put into the show with that just didn't have time. And um, when we do the tour, we'll do like six or eight stops. Mm-hmm. Like I think I think I could do two or three shows in Berlin, in like Cologne, Frankfurt, Hamburg, and then what I'd love to do at the end of the year is come back and end the whole thing in Munich at maybe like a lovely seated place like the Lustspielhaus, which we talked about already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That sounds nice. And like, <laughs> you, you know, like on, on, on the one hand, like I'm so super happy for you and um, beyond proud that you, you made this and that from, I don't know, within one year at this point where you, you take this, this whole thing to, to a stage and to a tour. On the other hand, I'm a little bit jealous because I was promised a tour with the band, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I'm sure I'm sure Mark is also kind of like kicking kicking dirt up. Like, well, hey, what's going on? I thought we were gonna do something. <laughs> or Loki, he just he just like you you, you pro- I, I imagine it like you talked to him about this, and he already like took days off for for the stops and just comes with his drum kit. He's just and waiting. Shows yeah. up with his drum kit and will be there for the show no matter what you do. He's like, well, do you need an egg shaker for this joke? <laughs> Dude, it's so it's so crazy. I mean, who knows down the road? I mean, it's it's funny now uh, having so many conversations with people who, um, you know, find me for the jokes and then write me a message or, or approach me in person and say, I had no idea that you made music. That's so that's so cool. How long have you done that? And have to kind of swallow in this whole story of like, well, okay, so my whole life. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Uh, and just be like, yes, I do. Thank you. I hope you like it. Uh, who knows? Maybe down the road, you know, that can be uh, brought back. You know, one if, big like show. Once this, whole, yeah, yeah, once this whole thing is like established. Yeah. Maybe next year or the year after that can be like a combo program or something. I'd love to tour like a, a sort of like a, a combo thing, like some some songs and then some jokes and have like sort of more of a variety. Um, I see it coming. Thing. Two years from now, you'll be playing Broadway. <laughs> the great Jordan Prince one, st- one step at a time guys. <laughs> the Jordan Prince musical but to, yeah the Jordan the poor Jordan Prince story <laughs> um, to, to to get back to to Miller Club Munich one more time mm-hmm. do you have a kind of a like most memorable moment from that like because it is a it has been a first a big first time for you yeah is there do you have like one moment where like yeah that that sums up that that new experience for me um, I mean, what what really struck me that I still think about is normally at a, on a performance, I am feeling most safe or protected when I'm holding the guitar, like when I'm behind the instrument. So talking a bit, telling some jokes in between songs. But when I'm finally playing the instrument and singing, I've got enough to focus on that um, I can kind of feel like there's this barrier between me and the audience. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed almost within just the first 10 minutes was that I was feeling so much acceptance and so much um, um, joy from the people just standing there with my microphone, just doing my thing, that when it came time to play these two or three you know, more serious songs, 
that I thought, oh no, I'm kind of disrupting this connection to the people. I'm disrupting this this flow, mm-hmm. and I don't um, I don't want to do it. Not not that I didn't want to play music in general, but that I thought maybe for this show, this kind of show, it doesn't fit. So by I did after the first song. I think the first song comes in around the 13 to 15 minute mark. And when that song ended, I knew how much story I had until the next song. And part of me, not that I could have worked this thing out in the moment uh, on stage, of course, but part of me was like, I really wish I didn't have to get to that next song because it would be great to just keep going. I was so like really pleasantly surprised with um, people's reactions. I, want, I wanted to look at my, my kind of set list here and see if something really stuck out. There was um, definitely a couple of very small sort of throwaway little tagline jokes that I used to just get to the next bigger story. And sometimes I was really pleasantly surprised how hard those hit. Mm-hmm. So I would, you know, sort of the, the the thing that you do in those moments is you kind of stay in the character of that joke. Like if you, you know, if you say something in a voice or say something with an attitude and the laughs come, you kind of, you kind of have to hold it. Yeah. You know, a little bit longer than you than what's natural because that's just funny from the audience perspective. So there's a couple of times I had to like remind myself like, oh, no, no, they're still laughing. Stay there. A- and then on the opposite, there was a couple of jokes um, I thought were super strong that here in practicing in my studio that I was really like, this is so good. I love this. I'm so proud of this. And it just was like <laughs> one, or two, one or two people, I, I, you know, maybe the joke just isn't good. Maybe it was a translation thing. But um yeah, definitely, definitely some some stuff to throw out, but I was very, I was very happy with the the feedback. But of course, there's always funny people who give you like criticism you didn't ask for. Um, I I would always there's a few people I would always ask like, you know, what would you do differently? What do you think I could have done better? But that when you're just waiting in line to meet people to take a picture, it was so funny to meet people who were like, um, uh, some people said just just straight up like lose the songs. Uh, some people said, um, because I did like a whole like story of my life, kind of like mm-hmm. coming from Mississippi, this conservative Bible Belt town, going to New Orleans, having this sort of like, you know, awakening to like different cultures and like sort of my own independence. And then the move to Germany. And then my German experience here as an expat is like the last chapter. And um, funny story. So uh, for those who who saw it, I talked about it in last week's episode in more detail, but um Bayerischer Rundfunk did this um, segment about this show and about like my jokes and stuff. And th- we did a post-concert interview the next day at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Very nice guys. We went for a walk like around this cowboy club in Munich. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> like around the Isar and stuff. And we were taking some, we were shooting what they call B-roll. B-roll is, for those who don't know, it's just like if you're watching an interview about somebody and the camera is just showing their house or someone walking down the street, just footage of like the environment while the story gets started. That's what they call B-roll. In Germany, you call it Schnittbilder. Schnittbilder. God, <laughs> God bless you. Or Schneebies. <laughs> Schneebies. We were, sh- we were shooting Schneebies and of me just like sort of looking around at these different Germans hiking in their hiking boots or whatever, just stuff around the town. And this uh, couple comes up to me and there's a guy and he's very sweet and he's beaming and he's blushing and he's like, Hey, I'm such a fan. And I was like, Oh, that's so sweet. And um, 
his girlfriend asked uh, if if we wanted a picture, and I was like, "Sure, yeah, go ahead." And I was gave him a hug, and she was taking a picture. And as she's taking the picture of us, she says, "You know, I was at your concert last night." And I said, "Oh, well, did you? I great. Oh, thank you. I did you did you like it?" And she said, "Yeah, the ending was nice with the German stuff." like just just the part that talks about the stuff in my videos like just like the (laughs) jokes about dialects and hochdeutsch and all this stuff and i was like yeah 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 well you know that's yeah that that seems to be like the the winner like the safe (laughs) the safe stuff yeah but but i that that could be a a thing that you soon reached a point where you gotta find that that fine balance between like creating new things and giving the people what they what they know and what they love and want. Yeah, no, for sure. That was that was like something I tried to do for most of the show. Um, there's just this middle section about New Orleans where it didn't make sense to bring it back to Germany yet. But in the beginning, I have these sort of stories, these beginnings about, you know, like some body insecurity stuff and being like a bigger kid. And it goes into like a lot of German experiences, like stuff about cross-country skiing and sauna and stuff and like FKK. And then there's a bit of a break um, talking about like family in Mississippi and stuff. I don't want to go like do the mm-hmm. whole show on here or whatever, but like there's basically, I tried to do back and forths, like just tapping into German stuff. And then there's a segment in the middle where it doesn't. And then at the very end, it's only about all this stuff that's connected to the videos just to give people like this big payoff for if they weren't so into the background story stuff. Um, but I'm, I'm sure that that's a divisive thing for like, some people are going to love it. Like some people loved the background story stuff. Some people liked the inclusion of the songs. Some people said, Hey, lose the songs, lose the projector, just tell your stories, which is also good criticism because I'm sure that the projector is a crutch for me, even though this is so loud. I'm sorry. Hold on. I'll turn this off. Um, it, the music, uh, not the music necessarily, but the projector, I didn't need it, but I did think some jokes were pretty funny on it. So I, I'll just have to see if that's something I want to keep or not. Probably I won't keep it because it's like a safety net, and it's probably better if I really just put myself out there. Yeah, I I, I must yeah. say um, we we probably should link that um, that segment from Capriccio again in the show notes because I think you get a pretty yeah. good impression. Um, like obviously I, I I could be pretty biased about this because I also work for BR, but I think it's a pretty piece and you get a great impression yeah, it's very flattering. On, it's very flattering. on your show. But one more thing that would interest me is <clears throat> if we look at the audience there, like were there, were they ma- mainly expats? Were they Germans? Like, like what was the audience like? Since I, I'm pretty sure you, you talked to a lot of them afterwards. Dude, uh, I can say that I really found my demographic. Um, 90% or 95% of the people that came up to talk after the show and who I'm pretty sure was there in general were like mixed international interracial couples. And sometimes neither of them from Germany at all. Mm -hmm. So it was really interesting. Like, oh, I'm from Cairo and I'm from London. I'm from you know, uh, the Philippines, I'm from, you know, Pakistan or something. Mm -hmm. It was very, very, very mixed. And sometimes you'd have like a German uh, wife or girlfriend or a German boyfriend or husband. uh, And then sometimes two people just from totally different places who ended up there for work or for studies or something. 
And that really I've, I found is like, okay, it's a lot of like people from all over the world who ended up being connected to Germany somehow. And that's really beautiful and really, really, really cool. Um, of course, I think there were a good bit of Germans there too. But in, I think the majority is people who, you know, like me, ended up here for whatever reason and are happy to feel a little less alone in these uh, observations they have about German behaviors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's just a coincidence, but um, a, a different content creator who's also been a guest on this show, her name is Chris the Sis. Um, she's an American uh, girl living somewhere in northern Germany. She, she makes um, funny stuff about living in Germany, too. And just talking about, like, this, this shared, shared experience. On the same day, without talking, without discussing anything, we both just happened to coincidentally drop a video making fun of the German stare. Um, I had a really short one that was more of, like, a little skit with, like, some staring into the camera. It was, like, a little quick joke. Mm-hmm. And she had one that was more – she does more, like, direct-to-camera, like, confessional-type uh, content. And both of these videos for us uh, in our own separate, like, you know, in, in my range of expectations and hers, both just like blew up. Um, and I remember like going to the comment section and seeing like on TikTok, there's uh, like, you know, the most popular comment usually gets this like search bar, like the blue highlight that you can click and go into like a research sort of zone. And the German stare is like a highlighted thing and like there's just thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are like this experience Mm -hmm. is such a true thing um so i think people who come to the show it's nice for them to be told about things that like oh this german staring thing because germans don't know that they do that or um yeah it should be really cool i mean also i'm really excited too i I think i mentioned it last week but it's not done yet um suddeutsche is doing an article about all of this too nice that's really cool. That's really nice. I just finished my interview with the journalist last week, last Wednesday. So maybe by the end of the week um, or, or, or the week after, we'll, that's, we'll see what they say about it too. That's pretty cool. I'm so very happy for you. And what, what just came to my mind, like the, the, the thing you said with the, the couples, kind of makes sense, mm-hmm. doesn't it? Because I, 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 can, totally. I, can, I can imagine like this part of your story, um, like leaving your your home country and your continent for love to go somewhere else is right. I, I believe a strong factor for identifying with you as a comedian or as as an entertainer right. for many people right. that have a similar experience totally totally i'm i'm very sure of that i'm very sure of that i mean waiting in this line like that's I mean, people people being supportive and people, you know, giving me a lot of um, mercy and, and um, acceptance at the show, you know, I was very happy for that, but it wasn't such a big surprise, like I said, because they, they already went there liking me. So that was kind of like my, my safety net or my, my discomfort going into it. But what really surprised me more than anything was the line of people at the end. I mean, it was really... Um, I I told people at the end of the show that if they wanted to come chat and take a photo or something that they could meet me at the merch table. And when I came back to the merch table, I didn't really feel, I didn't see like a line, you know, not, not like a clear line. So I thought, oh, you know, hmm, I really thought like a couple people would come up. I was like, I hope they liked it. You know, if there's no one here at the end of the show, I hope they liked it. And then after like two minutes of like having a, having a beer and talking to my friend Ben, who was running the merch table for me, I turned and the line had formed. And I stood in that spot talking to 
the fans of the show for over 90 minutes. <laughs> That's insane. That's crazy, I man. Never, ha- never had that experience before. And it was really like, I mean, I'm sure maybe it would have gone faster if I had just kind of, you know, rushed people along a bit. But I, I was just so flattered that people had so many different nice things to say and that they um, all connected with the videos somehow some different way. A lot of people found the videos before they ever moved to Germany. Mm-hmm. Some of them like, oh, my friend from London showed me this or my friend from whatever, whatever showed me this or I found it coming across this. And um, it's really cool that they all have some sort of connection to it and i'm really happy to be bringing it to a live setting so i can actually like see these people in real life and confirm my for myself that these are actually people who are interested in this stuff and not just because numbers online are so you know it's so like uh, grabbing at ghosts kind of um but yeah and there's been a, a pretty cool update that I haven't told you about yet. Maybe it's a really fun thing to round out the show with since we're over an hour now. Um, so two things. One, there is an American stand-up comic by the name of Matteo Lane. I don't know if you know him, maybe. Um, he's very funny. He's um, sort of in the same crew of comics around the like you know mid to late 30s range, like Sam Morell or Mark Normand, like these types of guys. And he's very funny, and he is doing a tour, and I have been asked by a German booking agency if I want to open up for him. Ooh, nice. That's pretty cool, man. When's that going to happen? It's in May, uh, but it's not... I'm I'm meeting... I'm going to go to Berlin this weekend for a couple of days and meet with this agency and hopefully get everything like really, really officially confirmed, confirmed. But as far as I know, everything looks really good. Nice. So I I hope they don't change their mind. Um, so it could, it could change just to put that out there. It could, it could, it could change, but, um, it look, right now it looks pretty good and that, that would be a great opportunity to, you know, meet him and, uh, get sort of like a, just a little bit of a connection to American comedy. And on top of that, and this is even crazier because it happens before Mateo Lane, which is wild. Um, so I found out probably a little over a month ago or something that, um, You've seen in my you've seen in my house here this book from my one of my favorite comics Tom Segura. Mm-hmm. So his wife Christina P. They have a podcast together, mm-hmm. which is very very big. And Christina has her own podcast that's also very big called called Where My Mom's At. And I've heard I saw about this, like, yeah. huh? I've heard about that podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've I've known of them for years, and I've you know. Um, I've known of them for a long time because of this podcast and their stand-up and stuff. And I found out about a month a month or so ago that Christina P. followed me on Instagram, which I thought was really crazy because it doesn't make any sense why, you know, an L.A. comic living in Austin would have any sort of connection to what I'm doing. And I already followed her. So, like, I wrote her a message and was like, hey, I've been a fan for a long time. I used this language that they, these, these slang words they use in their podcast. So she'd know that I'm a, a real listener. It was like, Hey, I'm a big fan. Thank you. It's crazy that you follow me. I can't believe that. Like, thank you. Maybe you'll never see this, but thanks. And she wrote back the same day and was like, Hey, I love your content. Your stuff is so funny. My grandmother was German. And I was like, Oh, so she has a kind of a connection to the stuff. And, um, I thought, well, that's really wild. And we started talking and she was very nice with me. Very like, you know, courteous with her time to text with some guy she doesn't know. And then I told her like, 
we started talking about when's the next time I'm in the States. And I said, well, um, I go to America uh, like mid-March through like end of April or something this year. She's like, well, let me know if you're around Austin. We'd love to have you on the show. And I was like, what? What? And dude, so I immediately uh, worked out a plan and a date with everybody. <laughs> I got, got the contact to her producer and I'm going to go record and be a guest on where my mom's at what uh, at, at the end of march uh, i'm gonna be on her show and it's all booked <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy man isn't that wild that's isn't that bad shit crazy <laughs> and dude she's still she's still like I, I thought after the stuff was booked that she'd you know maybe go quiet for a while like okay now this guy's booked and that's nice and we'll get to that stuff when we get to it and like she's still like look right under your name <laughs> is an unread unread message from her yeah like right under your name about meeting today it's like hey why does this stuff this stuff is so funny and when germans say that oh i can't wait to talk about this <laughs> i'm going to i'm going to bust out this don't, one don't make <laughs> one thing don't make tom segura jealous <laughs> yeah right exactly i i looked up his tour dates actually to see if he's out of the country or something when i'm there because i'd love for him to sign my book but i haven't um i haven't like bothered her about that i'm not gonna be like is tom in town um because it's so cool that she and dude it's like i'll send you the link for it or just go to my instagram because i posted the the clip recently like a few, few days ago but when 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 i got booked on her show i started listening to the last few guests um uh, just to refresh myself on like What's her show like? Is it is it super super different from uh, your mom's house? Is it you know does she have like a certain way of interviewing or is it more relaxed? And I was listening to the last couple of guests and she has an episode with this comedian named Johnny Pemberton, and randomly, for seemingly out of nowhere, around like forty five minutes into that episode, she brings me up. <laughs> She's like, he mentioned something about the cold and the snow. And she's like, oh, you know, blah, 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 Germans. There's this guy on TikTok named the Prince of Germany. I've been really obsessed with him. Can we pull him up? And they play a video of mine <laughs> on the show, dude. That's so crazy. And I wrote her a message. I was like, hey, thanks so much for the shout out on Johnny's episode. That's so cool. And she's like, yeah, of course. It's all, like, I love your stuff. <laughs> she's so giving and so <laughs> sweet. It's unbelievable. I never would have expected someone of her level to be so giving to i mean literally like a nobody in america like no one knows like i'm not like a known comic or something so that's really really that's really nice that's super sweet so you you'll take an extra trip to austin then yeah it's already booked i got the flights i'm gonna go um at the end of march one of those days i've got a flight booked in we'll do like a midday recording mm -hmm. It, we've been talking about maybe, I think I'm going to go for sure, even if she has to cancel, I'm going to go to J uh, Joe Rogan's comedy club, The Mothership, mm -hmm. and just be a patron, just like listen to some comedy and have, you know, have a few drinks. And she's talking about maybe going with me, which would be pretty crazy. Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, she's a busy lady and she has a family. So I get if that doesn't uh, pan out, but um i think that's what i'm gonna do and then the next day i come back and then and then it's down to new orleans where i can brag about it to my friends <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's so cool man i thought this whole thing with her was going to happen after new orleans and i thought oh but it'd be pretty cool if i could go down there <laughs> knowing i already did it and now i can so that it worked out pretty cool dude that's perfect um but that's big man like if this works out with her and then the mateo lane thing works out then that's really good connections to american comedians as well And then maybe like this, yeah, this international sort of kind of joke telling can 
spread and stuff. And let's see, let's see what happens. And um, but right now, I'm really, I'm really happy with how things have started off this year. And that is the moment where I would need a a soundboard to play DJ Khaled. All I do is win. <laughs> what was the? Oh, remember the the video where he hits like a he like puts a, a golf ball into the into the green. And he looks into the camera and it's like this long pause, and then he just goes, "Gatorade." <laughs> <laughs> He's just such a weird guy, man. Oh man. Well, dude, with that, I think we we crossed the hour, so I have to call it there. That's but, all right. Because um, I gotta I gotta send in some some uh, concepts for this for a tax company of all things. I have to send in. Um, for a video to do for a tax company, I have to send them like a concept. That's so I don't know. A, that's gonna be the most German funny, video ever, <laughs> dude. I was just thinking, like, how could how could we make this as comically German as? Could it be like what Johannes does on vacation or something? <laughs> <laughs> um, but dude, I I didn't get to talk to you too much. I'm really sorry about that. That I didn't get to turn it around yet. Easy man, um, but if you like. I think we could make another recording possible next week. I would love that. That'd be perfect. I would love that. So we'll of figure course. out a recording time, and then we're gonna hear each other then. Nice man. Um, well, I love you, buddy. Thanks for being on the show. It was thanks for the great questions as always. It's been a great and pleasure. Well, we we always miss you here, man. So hope to have you back on again soon. Thanks everybody for listening so much. Have a wonderful week. Bye bye. Artsy Farsi Immigrants, ein Podcast von John Prince und Moritz Badscheider, produziert für M94.5.